Good morning. I'm Neil Erickson, and I'll be reading the gospel lesson. It's from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, a reading from the good news according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples were met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the marks of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of Christ. Thank you, Neil, for reading a very familiar passage. But there's always more when you start digging into the scriptures and and it's amazing what you find. But before I get to the message this morning, I want to share how it is that I am at the pulpit today. Uh, I have been blessed to have had the opportunity to preach here a couple of times in the past. And since no one got up and left, uh, Reverend Ryan had the confidence to offer me the opportunity again. And you know the first thing I do when he asks? I pray right then and there. I pray, God, give me the courage to do this because I'm going to need some help. And give me the words I will need and the thoughts and the ideas to put a message together that will be acceptable both to you, O oh Lord, and to the good folks of this church. And you know what? Within a very short time, ideas start coming together. So I know that God has both heard my prayer and is answering my prayer. And to take this one step further, I then look for a suitable hymn of the day, a privilege that I take 
very seriously when I preach because I like to look for a hymn of the day. So I googled songs about doubting Thomas, the subject of my message, and after getting several hits about Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> I saw way down at the bottom of the screen a song called Thomas's Song, the hymn. So Laura and I had to listen, and we were immediately moved by both the tune and the lyrics. I sent it to Kara, who sent it to Andrew, and eventually our group of singers over here who have faithfully learned it. And when we sing it after the message this morning, you won't be probably familiar with it, but at the very least, hum along, but pay close attention to the lyrics. So to begin, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we ask that you open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal vision. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. Amen. So today in our scripture reading, we heard a story from the Gospel of John, the famous story of Doubting Thomas. But Thomas did not go right out and start spreading the good news that Jesus is risen and alive. In fact, Thomas refused to believe this at first, which is why, as we all know, he is nicknamed Doubting Thomas. We live in a world of doubters and skeptics when it comes to Jesus. We as Christians need to always begin by proclaiming the good news to ourselves and to each other and with each other and for each other. And then we should go beyond these walls and spread the good news to the world. We know Thomas was one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't a skeptical outsider. He was more like a church member. And the church will always have its doubting Thomases. I know, because sometimes I am one of them. Out of that batch of original disciples, I can identify most clearly with Thomas. Because in my walk of faith, I wrestle with doubts from time to time. And sometimes these doubts can fester into skepticism. And I'm sure at times some of you feel the same way. In part, I think that's just how the good Lord designed us. God gave many of us a curious personality. God made some of us a people who ask a lot of big questions. Do you ever find yourself asking some of these questions? Questions about God and how God works, and our universe and how it works, or how prayer works, or sometimes we think doesn't work, and why bad things happen to good people. Why do children suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? And then there's questions about the Bible. How should we understand it? How should we interpret it? I can see myself clearly in Thomas's story. I pro probably would have been slow to believe too. And not even because I didn't want to believe. Maybe you're here today and you're a lot like Thomas. You can see yourself in his story. You've got that blend of cautious curiosity. You wrestle with the big questions. And sometimes perhaps you're slow to believe like me, but not because you don't want to believe. Or maybe you're here and you're a true believer. And you don't get doubting Thomases. And you don't get the doubting Thomases you sometimes meet in the church. Maybe you think their doubts are a sign of weak faith. Wherever you're at right now, whether you're a doubting Thomas, a true believer, 
or somewhere in between, our scripture today has so much to teach us. My hope is that if you are a doubting Thomas, this message will help you see how valuable you are to Jesus and to the church. And for everyone else, my hope is that learning Thomas's story better will help you see the value of the doubting Thomases among us. So let's pick up Thomas's story beginning at John chapter 20, verse 24. We actually know very little about Thomas. In fact, we don't even know his name. He is known by a characteristic. He was a twin. That is what Thomas means in Aramaic. So he is identified simply as the twin. In Greek, he was known as Didymus, which also means twin. He is listed in the middle of the 12 in all four Gospels. Whether that means he always was in the middle of things or that he was neither the stronger nor the weaker of the 12, there is no way to discern. However, his interactions with others gave some clue of what Thomas was like. When Jesus set his face toward Bethany and Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead, all the disciples attempted to dissuade him from going into the lion's den, knowing Jerusalem would be close by. All except Thomas. It was Thomas who said, Let us go along with the teacher so that we may die with him. And during the last meal Jesus ate with his disciples, he said that he was going away. Jesus tells the disciples that he will be going away to the Father to prepare a place for them. And they knew the way to go where he was going. Well, maybe the rest of them knew the way, but Thomas didn't. And he was willing to admit it. He even admitted he didn't have the foggiest idea where Jesus was going, much less how to get there. I like the King James version of what Thomas said in John 14, 5. Lord, we know not whither thou goest. So how can we know the way whither thou goest? To which Jesus replied in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas was a person of integrity. Thomas raised tough, tough questions the kind that made everyone around him nervous because no one knew the answers. None of them thought you ought to admit you did not know the answers. None of them but Thomas. Thomas refused to silence the integrity of his mind. Faith and reason would be joined for Thomas or he would know the reasons why not. This type of integrity is essential for emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. There are plenty of folks around who clearly indicate that when it comes to matters religious, don't think, just believe. I guess there is nothing wrong with that, but Thomas was one who said that faith was a matter of both the heart and the head. Failure to integrate faith and reason was a breach of integrity for Thomas. We know from Scripture that the risen Christ had visited the other disciples on Easter night. But Thomas wasn't present. Where do you think he might have been? Was he off somewhere caught up in shock and grief, wanting and needing to be alone? Was he having a cup of coffee? Had he gone to the park to sit and feed the pigeons? Or maybe he was visiting the sick and imprisoned or feeding the hungry. There is no way to know where he was. We are only told where he was not. Thomas was not 
locked up in fear with the other disciples in the upper room. Our tendency is to berate Thomas for being absent. We berate him because there have been times when we have been late or absent and missed something important. We berate Thomas because he represents all those people we think should be here today but aren't. We berate him because when he was told about the resurrection, he refused to believe. Why wouldn't he believe what the others told him? Of course, Thomas was no different from the other ten disciples. In Luke 24, 11, it says, When the women told them, they thought what the women said was nonsense, and they did not believe them. So why don't we berate the other ten? In verse 25, we hear that the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. So here's a lesson for us. The other disciples didn't just write Thomas off. They didn't say, well, you know, Thomas wasn't one of the core members of our group. Is he really that important? Instead, they went out and looked for Thomas. And when they found him, they told him the good news. Everything was going to be okay. Jesus was alive, and they'd seen him. But Thomas replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. But listen to what, be, what happens beginning in verse 26. After eight days, Jesus' disciples were again in a house, and this time Thomas was with them. Think about that. We call this man Doubting Thomas. We judge his lack of faith. But this guy waited for a whole week for Jesus to show up, even though he said he didn't believe that Jesus would show up. So you can't tell me that Thomas didn't have faith. He couldn't believe Jesus was alive again, but he waited with the others to see him anyways. He let his curiosity get the best of his caution. And then it says, even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. If we look back at verse 19, the beginning of our story today, you'll see this is exactly what Jesus did for the other disciples. They were hiding behind locked doors. Jesus still found a way inside and spoke a word of peace to them. He blessed them with shalom, peace be with you. Commissioned them with his own ministry. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, and equip them with his abiding presence, receive the Holy Spirit. Basically, he was telling them not to be afraid. So Thomas got the same experience the rest of the disciples did. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your fingers here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side. This is what Thomas said he needed to do to believe. He needed to examine Jesus' wounds for himself, to trace them with his fingers, to touch them. And so, Jesus was ready to give Thomas whatever experience he needed to overcome his doubts. Jesus also told Thomas, stop doubting and believe. In John's Gospel, belief isn't just something you do with your mind. It doesn't mean you just accept a bunch of facts. Have you ever had a parent, a spouse, or a friend tell you, I believe in you, 
What they mean is they love you. And they know you love them. And they have confidence in you because of that relationship. In John's gospel, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. It's about loving Jesus and trusting Jesus. So here's some good news for my fellow doubting Thomases. You really don't have to have any of the other big questions figured out. The only thing you must be certain about is that you love Jesus and Jesus loves you. Thomas said he wouldn't believe Jesus was alive again until he saw him and touched his wounds with his own hands. So what did Thomas do when Jesus offered his wounded hands inside for him to touch? Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And when we sing the hymn of the day, Thomas's song, note that the very last words at the end of the song are, you are my Lord and my God. And notice what we're not told that happened. When I wrote that, I think that might be a double negative, but, uh, and notice what we're not told that happened. Uh, English major can correct me. Uh, we're never told he touched Jesus' wounds. Maybe it was enough for Thomas that Jesus was willing to do whatever Thomas needed to believe. Or maybe he did touch the wounds. Perhaps John left it open on purpose. We know that different people come to faith in different ways. And Jesus is open to adapt to our needs. And the church should also be open to what people need. And I truly believe that this church, St. George's United, is ahead of the curve on that one. Some people can grasp Jesus in their hearts without having to see anything. Some people need to see something. And some people need a hands-on experience, something that they can touch and feel and hold on to. Just like we all learn differently, we all fall in love differently, we also all come to faith differently. Finally, Jesus told Thomas, do you believe because you see me? Happier are those who don't see and yet believe. Some people hear this and think that Jesus is Jesus is berating Thomas. Like Jesus was saying, man, Thomas, I really had to pull out all the stops to make you believe. But God blesses those who can believe without any evidence. But that's really not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was thinking of all the future generations of Christians when he said this. He was thinking about you and me and giving us a blessing because we believe in him even though we didn't see him working miracles. We didn't see him walking around after the resurrection, but we still believe. He wasn't scolding Thomas. He was blessing us. So for doubting Thomases, there are probably some things you doubt because you haven't found satisfactory answers to your questions yet. Don't be afraid to talk honestly about your doubts. Keep asking those questions, but don't ever doubt Jesus' passionate love for you. I know I don't. And here's something we need to understand. Remember that Jesus handpicked Thomas to be his disciple. Jesus knew Thomas was prone to wonder, to question, and to doubt when he chose him. And I believe Jesus still chooses doubting Thomases. Doubting Thomases are a real asset because they keep us honest. They challenge us to stretch our thinking because they're the ones who ask the big questions. 
They're not going to let us be superficial. They're not going to settle for easy answers or cheap scrapes. If our family was Winnie the Pooh, our doubting Thomases would be our Eeyore. If our church family was the Chronicles of Narnia, they'd be our Puddle Glum. They'd keep us grounded. They'd give us reality checks. And to true believers and everyone else, don't abandon our doubting Thomases. Learn from what the other disciples did for Thomas in our story today during his time of doubt. Embrace them, encourage them, and walk with them. And so, my friends in Christ, spreading the word starts here, with us, for us, and among us. Before we can tell the world, we must tell ourselves and each other the good news that Jesus is alive, that he's reigning over the universe, and that he's making all things new. We need to abide in that good news and live out that good news with each other and for each other. You know, when Jesus showed Thomas his wounds, he was really showing him how much he loved him. Thomas believed when he saw Jesus taking his doubts seriously. When he saw Jesus be vulnerable to his needs, Jesus loved him through his doubts and loved him into belief. As you go forth from here, may you be vulnerable for the doubting Thomases you meet in the church and in the world. Perhaps they'll catch a glimpse of Jesus in your care for them. And in closing, in the weekly email, I included a short poem about Thomas. And for those of you that don't get the email or didn't see the email, I'd like to read it now. These things did Thomas hold for real. The warmth of blood, the chill of steel, the grain of wood, the heft of stone, the last frail twitch of blood and bone. His brittle certainties denied that one could live when one had died until his fingers read like braille the markings of the spear and nail. May we, O oh God, by grace believe and in believing still receive the Christ who held his raw palms out and beckoned Thomas from his doubts. Amen. Ciao, tu clé.